0: Hello everybody. This sermon is the third in our series looking at the book of Revelation. Our series is called Unveiling Hope and the hope this time is that the Lamb is on the throne. This sermon looks at Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Have you ever heard the phrase behind closed doors? If ever there was someone who wanted to know what goes on behind closed doors, it is my wife. Whenever we visit a National Trust place, Emily is in her element. I'll be looking up at a piece of art and then I'll turn round and there she will be furiously trying to turn a door handle to see if there's a secret passage behind it. She's so curious, even if the door is roped off, she will give it a go. Sometimes to Emily's shock, the door opens, but she's always disappointed. She will just have found where the National Trust hide all their packing cases, cleaning equipment and empty coffee mugs. Never once has she made a great historical discovery. The phrase behind closed doors is often used in relation to the rich and powerful. People who live and work in areas that ordinary people like us just do not have access to. The Queen lives much of her life behind closed doors. We wonder what an average day for her is like. The police work behind closed doors. We wonder which criminals they are following. At half-time in the football, the team talk is given behind closed doors. We wonder if the manager is giving the team what for. As human beings, we are all naturally curious. We don't like being denied access to anything, even when there might be legitimate reasons for it. Of course, the times when we would most like to see behind closed doors are when decisions are being taken that affect us. After a job interview, the panel debating... After hospital tests, the consultant and their team going over the scans. During this coronavirus crisis, how the government are going to ease the lockdown. We want to know what these powerful people are going to do, whether they're going to help us or not. We want to know whether they're going to bring joy or sadness into our lives. But in truth, it's very rare that we get to see behind closed doors in this way. So on the odd occasion it happens, we know we are being granted a special privilege. The letter of Revelation was first written in the context of persecution. Everyone in the land was being forced to worship the Roman emperor and when the Christians refused they were in serious trouble. Jail, torture and even death could be the result. In chapter 2 we read of Antipas in Pergamum already becoming a martyr. Towards the end of the first century then many Christians were struggling. They were being hounded by the state, disowned by their families and betrayed by their friends. It was tough, really tough. Consequently many of these new converts wanted to know what on earth was going on. Where was God? What was he up to? Why were his people being allowed to suffer in this way? Had the Roman Emperor got to him too? Where was the world headed? Do these questions sound familiar? They do, don't they? These are the same questions we are asking now at the time of this virus. Where are you, God? Are you still there? What are you up to? This is hurting us. Can't you see? Maybe you're less powerful than we thought. What's happening, God? Where is all this going? Human beings have been asking the same questions for centuries. Every time a crisis comes, the doubts return. This is why I have chosen for us to read Revelation at this particular time. In Revelation, we discover that God understands our questions He has seen our tears and heard our cries and wants to help us. In the first century, he did this by giving John a special privilege. In a vision, he gave him a glimpse behind closed doors. By the power of the Spirit, God granted John a view of the throne room of heaven. What he saw contained all the hope the believers in Asia Minor needed in order to hang on through their trials. What he saw contains all the hope that we need today. Revelation 4 and 5 then is a great vision of what is going on in heaven right now as I speak. Our God is sat on the throne. The woes on earth that hurt us cannot damage him. He sits resplendent and sovereign over all things. In heaven, there is no coronavirus. There is just constant praise and worship as all those who have gone before us serve and worship the king. Why is this good news? Well, because the rest of Revelation is going to tell us how this situation in glory Is going to be brought to be a reality on earth as well. I want to spend some time going through this vision in detail, making sure we understand it. For these two chapters are the most important in the whole book. Everything else flows out of here. In verse 1 of chapter 4, the door opens and John is invited to look within. The first thing he sees, verse 2, is God the Father sat on the throne, ruling with power over all. John does not describe the Father. The Ten Commandments and the reverence of his Jewish tradition prevents it. The Father dwells in an inapproachable light. So John only refers to him by the metaphorical brilliance of precious stones. In verse 3, a rainbow gets added to this description. If Jasper and Carnelian speak of God's brilliance, the rainbow speaks of God's faithfulness, drawn as it is from the Genesis story of Noah and his promise never to flood the earth again. But actually, the rainbow carries an extra significance. At the time John wrote blasphemous roman coins showed the emperor's throne with a rainbow behind it this detail then is john urging his persecuted readers to see that this throne in his vision is the throne of the true king this is the only god the one worthy of attention and praise in verse 4 we then read that around the throne there are 24 elders also with thrones and crowns Yet these elders know their place. When they worship God in verse 10, they take off their crowns and kneel before the Lord. The number 24 is, of course, symbolic. It's made up of the 12 patriarchs of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob who formed the 12 tribes, and the 12 apostles of Jesus. These elders then represent all of humanity down through the ages who have been faithful to God beyond death they reign with him awaiting the day of their return to earth in verses five to eight john goes on further to describe the throne as i said a moment ago john cannot describe the father so he continues to describe the throne instead the throne appears 35 times in revelation and every time we should read it as a substitute for god Again, as we've discovered over the last two weeks, Revelation is brilliantly written. There is nothing random here. All the imagery in these verses is drawn from the Old Testament. The thunder and lightning speak of the holiness of God, as seen when he gave Israel the law at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. The seven lamps represent the power and might of God's Spirit, as found in Zechariah 4. In the Old Testament, the sea is a symbol of chaos. It speaks of all that is threatening to human life. Yet here the sea lays at God's feet and has been turned to crystal. Such is the power and peace of God's reign. The angelic beings singing holy, holy, holy are drawn from the throne room vision of Isaiah 6. And the four living creatures are from Ezekiel 1. These four living creatures are perhaps the strangest elements. Let's focus on those for a moment. In Ezekiel, the four creatures represent all of creation. Here in Revelation, we find the purpose of creation. It exists to bring perpetual praise to God. Notice that only one of the creatures looks like a human. This shows us that human beings are not the most important thing in heaven. God is. What we have then with the four living creatures and the 24 elders are all of creation and all of humanity coming together to praise God. They do this for the simple reason that he is God. He is worthy of it. He is brilliant. He is faithful. He is powerful. He is holy. He is the maker and sustainer of all life. That is a very direct contrast to the Roman emperor who was a mere human, pathetically claiming to be God. This then is the purpose of chapter 4. God is granting this vision so that when John communicates it, the persecuted believers in Asia Minor can lift up their heads. They have asked, where is God? They have questioned his power. Well, here is the answer. Their God, right now, sits on the throne of heaven. He reigns with ultimate power and authority. They might not be able to see this at the moment. They might not be able to feel it during their hardships. But nevertheless, it is true. This is the one God worthy of praise. He has been praised since the dawn of time. He is being praised now and he will always be praised. Anything we might be tempted to praise on earth now will pale into insignificance when this God acts. When his kingdom comes, when heaven arrives on earth as one day it will. Roman emperors, terrifying armies, crooked economic markets, the rich and the powerful, celebrities and all other idols in our lives will fade away to nothing. In the suffering of the first century, during this virus in the 21st century, God still reigns and he is still worthy of our praise and attention. Nothing else even comes close. In chapter 5, the vision continues. Suddenly, we see that God has a scroll in his hand. The scroll is tightly wrapped and fully closed with seven wax seals. Again, the clue to decode this imagery lies in the Old Testament. In both Ezekiel and Daniel, God's plans for the future, which are unknown to human beings, are described as having been written down on a scroll and sealed. This scroll in Revelation then contains all the details of how finally God's kingdom is going to come to earth. The scroll states how this behind closed doors scene of the throne room will become a reality in our world as we know it for all to see. The scroll states what God is going to do, how he will act to bring judgment on those who persecute his people and how he will bring blessing to those who stay faithful through their suffering. The scroll states how God will complete the work that he has already long started. It is interesting to note that in Daniel 12.4 we are told that the scroll must remain closed until the end times. The fact that in Revelation the scroll is gradually open shows us that those times have now begun. I've heard people say to me recently, this virus you know, it's a a sign that the end times are approaching. Well actually we've been in the end times ever since the death and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of his spirit at Pentecost. We were in the end times when Revelation was written 1900 years ago. Christ could come any time now. We should stop trying to guess when that will be and just focus on getting ourselves and getting others ready. So God holds this scroll that contains the details of his plan. But how is it to be opened? At first, there appears to be no one worthy to do it. None of the elders, none of the living creatures, no one in all creation or all of human history is pure enough to remove the seals. John is so anxious about this that in verse four, he breaks down in tears. This is understandable. Remember, John himself is suffering in exile as he receives this vision. When you are deeply suffering, you become desperate for reassurance that in the end everything is going to be okay. John worries that this lifeline of hope will be denied to him and all the other believers suffering throughout Asia Minor. But that is not to be the case. Finally, someone is found who fits the bill. John hears him described as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David. Again, this is imagery drawn straight from the Old Testament. The Lion and the Root were messianic titles. They were used in prophecy to announce that one day God's anointed king would come to save his people. So on hearing this announcement, John gets excited. He expects to see a great lion who has conquered his enemies. All eyes are now on the spot near the throne of God where this great carnivorous beast, this military figure, will appear. But John is in for a shock. That is not what he sees at all. To his great surprise, John sees the exact opposite of a lion. He sees a tiny little lamb so small it can stand on the throne. As we know from the fields around Isla at this time, lambs are perhaps the ultimate symbol of purity and vulnerability. John then notices in verse 6 that this lamb has already suffered. It looks like it has been slain. The death wound is still visible. Immediately with this announcement, we begin to see the significance of the vision and just who this lamb is. This lamb is Jesus. The one who ascended into heaven in a perfect resurrection body, but on whom the wounds of crucifixion were still visible. Remember how Thomas touched them and put his finger into them. This imagery is so important. Jesus had the power of a great lion, but he triumphed as a lamb. He didn't triumph through violence and warfare like the Roman emperors did. He triumphed through death and resurrection. God's kingdom was inaugurated through the crucified Messiah who died for his enemies. His death was his enthronement. It was his moment of conquering, not his moment of failure, as the current Roman emperor was trying to get the Christians to believe. In Christ's vulnerability, he actually had great power, the power of love and sacrifice. And in this vision, that power is pictured by the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. The victory Christ won was so total that after it he could ascend up into God's heavenly throne room and send out his sevenfold spirit on the earth. We really need to hear this today. People read Revelation looking forward to the battle at the end. But the greatest battle in the history of the world has already been fought and won. It was the death and resurrection of Jesus that changed everything. Now we just wait for things to be tidied up. We live in a period similar to that between D-Day and V-E-Day in World War II. The war between God and evil is only going one way now. Victory is assured. We just have to hang on as the enemy goes through its death throes. Right now, as you listen to this sermon, the Lion and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is sat on the throne of heaven beside his Father. He is strong and powerful, exalted above all and worthy of worship. Yet also one of us, who loved us so much he gave his life for us. This Lamb of God will not let anything destroy us now. In verse 7 of chapter 5, the Lamb takes the scroll from his Father. The whole of history, past, present and future is now in the pierced hands of Jesus. What we see in Revelation 5 has been the case ever since Christ ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. As God's Son, he was the only person worthy to take hold of the scroll. Now he is the one entrusted by his Father to lead all of history and bring it to its completion. In the hands of Christ are not only the future of big cities and powerful emperors, but the lives of every single human being. His kingdom has begun, and as the scroll of history starts to be opened in Revelation, we will hear and see how his kingdom will come in full on earth. What power! What importance! What divinity! No wonder in John's vision the whole company of heaven fall down in worship before him at this moment. So let's now start drawing this wondrous passage to a close. Through John, we have been given a privileged look behind closed doors to the throne room of heaven. We have seen how things truly are right at this moment. What are we to take away? Well, it's this. Human history contains many dark periods. Our lives contain many dark periods. Perhaps with this virus, we're going through one of the darkest of them all right now. But whatever happens, we can be confident that both the past and the future are safe in the hands of Jesus. Revelation starts and ends with the triumphant Lamb of God. We know where everything is headed now. The kingdom of Christ coming to earth. There is a saying, all's well that ends well. We can trust that to be the case. Jesus, right at this moment, has everything firmly under control. Nothing will get out of his hand. He is the only one with the divine authority to guide history to its glorious conclusion. These two chapters then contain everything we need to know during this coronavirus. God is in control and God has already won. We may suffer now, but it will not last. For the faithful, a glorious eternity awaits. The question is, will we hold on to our faith in the Lamb? That was why John wrote this letter. He was urging the believers of Asia Minor to keep worshipping Jesus and not be tempted off to the temple of the emperor, no matter how fierce the persecution got. Will we today keep the faith and continue worshipping even in the face of this crisis? This week we are to take heart, to have courage. The virus has not won and it will not win. God is on the throne and still in control, one day his kingdom will come.